Thank you very much for joining me, Kirsty. Thank you for having me here. Um, today, we're going to be talking about the problem solving because you're a strategic tech advisor at Splunk. Is that right? That's right, yes. So we've picked two, just two of the biggest problems that you think the corporates are dealing with at the moment, which are getting resilience and sustainability. Is that right? Yeah, so very much top of mind for a lot of customers that we have at the moment. But also just for me personally as a technologist, I think these are the two very interesting areas for 2022 that we're going to see post-pandemic people really get involved in. Great. And also, because this is in our Women in Tech series, I'm all about showcasing women who are in tech and doing really interesting stuff. So it just so happens that you're a woman and I'm a woman and we're talking about cool tech stuff. So Yeah, no, I think it's really good to see kind of the different roles we have out there, understand our community a bit better and network and just get involved in other people's stories. I think it's a really good way to do that. Well, let's start with you, though, so that um, people understand how you got to this cool sounding role in Splunk? Yeah, it's been quite a journey. So I studied mathematics at university um, and I had all the kind of usual, you don't look like a mathematician. So I don't know if people are watching, I don't know, you can judge, do I? But if I, um, (laughs) from my voice, maybe uh, you can hear I've got quite a posh accent, which I picked up at university. I actually am a northerner, um, very proud to be. And yeah, I got this uh, accent at university, white, blonde haired, and um, just don't really look like a traditional mathmo. Yeah, person with a beard scribbling on a chalkboard. Um, I'm quite proud to have then gone on to be a maths teacher to show younger children that really it's not about what you look like, it's about what you bring to a problem and your kind of inquisitiveness. Um, and there's a joke that mathematicians are just those people who don't know when to give up and they just mm-hmm. keep solving a problem. They keep going long after everyone else has given up. Um, and so that kind of tenacity and you know push to find the right answer is really something that drives mathematicians, but I think a lot of people in technology as well. And uh, yeah, so then after being a teacher, I moved to the NCSC, UK National Cyber Security Centre, which is uh, the UK technical authority for government and citizens. And its job is to make the UK the safest place to live and work online. And uh, I was a mathematician there for seven years. It's a very exciting place to be. Um, And I moved into more security technologies, looking at kind of internet ecosystems, participating in internet engineering groups and the security of the IoT, setting global standards and policy for that. Um, and then, yeah, I ended up at Splunk as a strategic advisor. So it's quite an interesting thread of how my career evolved, starting with mathematics to go to technology and then more into security and finally ending up in kind of strategy, technical space. Yeah, it's a very interesting journey. But the, the common thread seems to be very much if you're into maths, you're probably a problem solver. Very, very applicable in the real world. That's it. And it's that kind of logical skill, I think. So a lot of people do think mathematicians, it's just sitting on your own, doing a lot of equations or sums, actually. And it's really much more about that collaborative aspect, kind of workshops, bringing a different viewpoint, being very logical in your processes and Mm -hmm. seeing visualizations of things that people can't visualize in their heads. You know, we talk about multi-dimensions and, but it's really this inquisitive, um, relentless nature of attacking a problem. And so a lot of mathematicians also love puzzles because it's the same thing, something impossible seemingly, and you chip away at it, look at it with a different lens, turn the piece of paper around. Oh, it looks different upside yeah. down. And it's all those kinds of... You'd be great in a pub quiz oh, when, yeah. you, when you're digging back <laughs> <laughs> So the puzzle books that yeah. um, GCHQ released, you know, those are written by some of the mathematicians and it's just such an interesting set of things to... And, you know, 
know, I love them. My, my parents um, read them and just get completely stuck and quickly <laughs> go to the answers. But I think the point is, if you never flick to the answers, that's the real. That's the method. That's the one, yeah. So do you get to talk to a lot of people in corporate space about the problems that they're dealing with at the moment? Yeah, so now with um, Splunk, I am much more in that kind of industry space and yeah, understanding the kind of challenges because the last, I mean, everyone says this, but the last couple of years have been unprecedented and we're seeing a lot of the repercussions of that now now mm. that we've moved away from kind of emergency sprint responses and more into long term looking at what was done and what could have been done better and so that brings us into those topics of resilience and with um global geopolitics um i'm not going to mention <laughs> what everyone thinks i'm going to mention but the sustainability kind of aspect with cop 26 and the g7 yeah really that's top of mind as well so, great yeah well let's start with the resilience peace. And we don't have to necessarily think about the pandemic or wars to, to know that there are uh, there is a requirement to be resilient to curveballs coming along. Indeed, st- sustainability might bring a few more curveballs because as global warming happens, there's going to be more unprecedented natural events as well, exactly. which we'll have to kind of be ready for. Yeah. And why are we as technicians talking about this then? How can tech help with resilience? It's a very good, I think um, not many companies are planning to go extinct, right? They're not, they've not got, oh, next year, that's when we'll go bust. It's more about understanding, and it doesn't have to be a big event either. You know, the pandemic and war, you know, those are massive events, but what if half your team resigned tomorrow? You know, are you able to cope with that sudden drop in resource? What's your plan for continuing your base operating offering? And I think a lot of companies, maybe the pandemic threw threw things into sharp relief and you saw companies that did very well because of all their preparation and their backup plans. And you saw companies that were maybe a bit more hand to mouth and not so well prepared. And I think it's becoming more top of mind for um, C-suite and execs that we see just that you cannot sort of hope it will be okay anymore. And um, if you do have, you know, if the worst happens, you have a breach, you are, you know, hit with ransomware, it's no longer acceptable to have no response plan in place. It's no longer, um, it's more about how you respond to that challenge rather Mm. than hoping it never meets you in the first place. And so I think a lot of security trends and, but also, you know, this, this global shift is, is really putting it top of mind for a lot of our C-suite that we see. Yes. And that, what you, what you mentioned there was a base operating model. Is that basically saying we like to operate with all these things in hand, but let's scale back. What's the minimum we can operate with? Absolutely. So a lot of companies, you know, want to do everything and that's great. You know, it was great to have the ambition and the innovation, but you have to have this must, should and could kind of tiering um, and work out what is in that must offering. You know, what's your minimum that you will always offer? And that could be in terms of time. It could be in terms of capacity, you know, um, then your should is things you really ought to do um, and could is sort of bigger space further away. And yeah, we do like to talk about this tiering of priorities and um, just make sure you know that the tech supports what people have there because you need to have this um, ability to monitor what's going on. You need to have the data that allows you to do what you need to do in those mm-hmm. spaces. Um, but it's really a much bigger thing about just making sure, I mean, actually going back to kind of engineering on the on the ground level, used to have developers that would code something and a chaos monkey library that would come in and purposefully do things wrong. And it was called the chaos monkey and you didn't know what it was going to do, right? So it could delete loads of files. It could change some variable. And it was all about how robust. Is that an automated chaos monkey? Yes. Was it? Yeah, oh, I, I love it. it. Okay. Really, yeah. So I, I actually have an in-person chaos monkey who lives with me. And <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know when I invited him to live with me, it would be like that. But um, yeah, we'll break things, yeah. leave the door unlocked, forget yeah. the key, whatever that is. 
And is what's your what's your resilience? What's your coming back from that? You know, have you put spare keys with the neighbours? And over time, it, it's chaos at the time. But over time, it improves your testing, it improves yeah. your checking, it improves your monitoring. And when a real, um, you know, chaos not exactly, happens. you are better prepared. And so it's almost taking that principle to to the resilience space. It's, it's another thing where dev developers have done it quite well in the past, right? And just trying to scale it up on the whole technical side. And I think, you know, when we have sort of exercising, that's where we see yeah. it maybe at the more C-suite level. Yeah. Um, you know, if there's one thing I would love everyone to do immediately after this podcast is go and check your backup right go check yeah. that they are properly offline they're properly good and you can restore from them so that when you are hit by ransomware you know should the worst happen and you you do have to restore you are quite confident in that restoration process and you don't have to pay these these criminals essentially yeah. um but if you ask people yeah we would never pay the ransom you say okay so what's your what's your backup what's your resuming what, what's your playbook for doing that exactly and they yeah oh it's this it's this and when was the last time you did that so it's about building in those checks of resilience really yeah and that really helps with the speed of recovery as well right oh well so ransomware is a whole different kettle of fish i mean i think we're most much more used to people kind of coming in stealing data that's it short sharp shock and it's done um but the whole process of being hit by ransomware there's a lot lot longer in the management process and the remediation um you know we see a lot of doubled or triple exploitation where not only the data is encrypted but then it's also exfilled and taken away before mm-hmm. and so you have attackers with a lot of data and your systems you know unable to operate and where do you and there's this um sense of it's called invisible dread where it can be months before that data is published or released and you don't know exactly what the attackers have taken and of course the way to know is with proper you know, assuming you have a breach make it difficult for them to move around once they're in the network to monitor properly what's yeah. going on exactly and just resent and um, prevent them from taking everything taking everything yeah and, and at least knowing what they've taken if yeah. they do take something so um yeah ransomware is such a long game and um when we talk about ransomware people don't often mention the kind of uh, personal cost I think, and this builds into the resilience thing, you know, half your team, it, it's, it's stressful. Yeah. There's capacity for burnout. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really a marathon, not a sprint, because the remediation takes weeks, months. Um, and so how do you plan for that? What's your contingency? What's your cushion that you can allow people to to take, you know, in oh, that okay. space? Yeah, and that's where having those extra bits of thinking about the burnout is where the, you're thinking very strategically. I was just thinking technically there, you know, oh. visibility, what files and stuff but actually how are the people going to be dealing with it have they practice are they okay well it's people process tech so there's the tech remediation absolutely and that's key that's central but you know and I feel like perhaps speaking as a woman in technology think more of the human side more often Mm -hmm. and um, for me there's a need for instant responders to be more like have a better bedside manner essentially Mm -hmm. you know you can't come in and blame or just even to be these these are victims of crime yeah um and they're often quite vulnerable very emotionally upset you yeah. know because the impact is not just on your operations you know and finance and reputation but it's people's careers yeah. um there's often a human cost not just in terms of burnout for your staff but your customers or you know worry for people particularly if it's certain types of organization um that provide public services perhaps and it's people's livelihoods and things that you're dealing with so that people side of things is often underestimated with ransomware and I think it's important to remember if you're an instant responder or if you're just dealing with anyone in that case that those are victims of crime yeah if you put it that way it makes you a lot more empathic to to their 
you have to be empathetic because the, the, what they're going through is, you know, one, hopefully once in a lifetime, but really shocking. Yeah. And, um, you know, rarely if someone's been burgled, would you go in and say, but what was your lock like? And what did it, you know, you would be a lot more sympathetic, I think. And um, it's about understanding what went wrong. Absolutely. Lessons learned. Mm. But there is sort of a time and a place in a bedside manner that I yeah. think really needs to be brought there. Oh, that's really interesting. Now, do you have an example of where Splunk has helped with, with resilience? resilience? Well, there's a very good case study and um, I'm going to l- laugh at this because my colleague told me about it um, recently with a lot of pizza puns, but essentially Domino's pizza. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, so during the halftime show um, for the Super Bowl, so American, very American um, yeah. thing, but there's a huge spike in ordering pizzas okay. and Domino's actually described themselves as a, a pizza company, uh, sorry, a data company that makes pizzas. Oh, right. Yeah, so very data-first kind of strategy. Okay. Um, and in terms of just dealing with peaks and ability to cope with surging traffic, how they prioritise and make sure they've got the right staff on and, you yeah. know, certain areas are going to be busy. They can predict um, spikes in demand and kind of prepare as best they can for the halftime show, get people to order a pizza and get it delivered in in that short break yeah. while they're enjoying whichever pop star is doing that. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> always big. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Exactly. Um, so for them, it's about kind of understanding the the pace and mm. being able to um, have the resilience. Obviously, their infrastructure stays up and people are, you know, the website doesn't go down even with huge surge and understanding those cushions of operating kind of space. But, um, but yeah, then there's also the agility yeah. to respond. So if the halftime show, I don't know, was earlier or cut short or was delayed for some reason, they've got these kind of cushions and ability to respond to that. So with resilience, we say it's like ambidextrous that, you know, you can be resilient as anything, but if you're too locked into something and you're not able to pivot quickly to adapt to what's going on, to take advantage of what's going on, then that's also a problem. Oh, so, so you've got to be resilient, not only for the recovery, but also when it's going to happen and how you're set up. For it. Exactly. Okay. Um, and so, I mean, I've spoken about security because that's my... I know I'm uh, saying uh, recovery there as yeah. though it's that, but actually scaling up to s- demand is also resilient exactly. too. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I see. And so Domino's use Blunk. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So we have uh, on our website, I mean, I'm not a salesperson, so this is going to be naturally very awkward. <laughs> but um, yeah, on our website, there's actually loads of case studies that as a technologist, I found really interesting to kind of see the range of what people do. I know people use Splunk for everything. It's, it's amazing. It's astonishing, actually. Yeah. yeah. And um, I think what's really nice is when you have this data for just, you know, like making sure you can deliver your pizzas and you've got logistics all sorted out, you can also use it for other things like calculating your carbon footprint right like if you know where your drivers are and their average length of delivery you can very accurately calculate that and see um you know take a snapshot and use that as a benchmark to improve from so Mm. you know you're not you're not using more splunk it's the data you already have you're just applying some different lens to it that's that's splunk's basically isn't it put what is it? Data to action? Action to data? Turn data into doing. Thank you. Yeah, Thank like, you. Well, I knew there was action or something. <laughs> no, Neither of us are sales, clearly. No, no. <laughs> but, I mean, that's the thing that, you know, you can have a lot of data and lovely dashboards. And you have a good look and that's that's lovely. And um, yeah. my chaos monkey enjoys a good look. He's often just having a good look around. Um, but you need to actually do something with that. With it, yeah. yeah. And it's yeah. not enough to just kind of, oh, that's my common footprint. Jolly good. You haven't completed that. It's like um, looking at the gender pay gap for CEOs. Okay, you know what it is. What are you going to do about it? What's your, exactly. The next question is always that. So you can't just have it. Yes, we've calculated it jolly good. And you need to be able to see if I make this intervention, what's the impact yeah. for how long? Yeah. But also, I mean, it's not a popular thing, but calculate the carbon footprint of taking that data. Mm. And calculate, you know, because well, yeah, let's talk about sustainability then, because we've started to anyway. 
So the first offering really that Splunk can do is to get that visibility, but also it can help with tweaks. So if you if you make a change, let's see the impact of it. Absolutely, yeah. But what you're saying is even tracking that visibility obviously will cost energy because it's going to be stored somewhere. Exactly. Um, so you've just got to make sure that you don't spend so much energy monitoring that you have a negative balance. That's exactly, yeah. And I think it's one of those things that it's, that's the imperative. You have to turn that data into doing something. Yeah. If you're just capturing it, that's actually adding to your problem. So you need to be capturing, say, the impact of running these buses or whatever um, between your different sites. Mm-hmm. Work out the impact of adding an extra bus in terms of what commuter, um, individual commuter carbon you would save. Mm. And then make check. Sh- check that's worth it. Yeah. And then implement that mm-hmm. because otherwise you've just kind of done a nice navel gazing. Exercise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, pretty report. And that's what I feel a lot of people are doing because we all have to do a carbon footprint. I've done some of it. But the main thing is, uh, what are we going to do about it then? Yeah. Like, how are we going to impact this? Absolutely. And then check it every year. Well, more, but... <laughs> yeah, so having more real-time kind of impact, you know, it would be lovely to say after a week of doing this, we have saved this much carbon. Mm. Or, um, I think it's a snapshot, a benchmark to go from, but if you can understand your hotspots, there's no pun intended there, but if you can <laughs> your, your kind of big um, carbon emit- emission yeah. places, then you can start to drill down okay why is that what would this intervention make a difference on and, yeah. and so on yeah so have you has Splunk helped anyone in particular on um sustainability we've got some customers in early kind of trial of it so okay. yeah nothing I can unfortunately nothing you can do. quote but there's no, um, a toolkit did you say that's right so it's actually only released um last week so nice. there's blogs and everything online and um, but it's the sustainability toolkit if you search for that and it's um a dashboard it's using the greenhouse gas um reporting protocol which covers three different scopes different types of emissions so there's direct indirect and uh, other indirect or like supply chain and yeah, things so yeah. it's energy you purchase um or things you are directly contributing like manufacturing assets yeah. and things and then finally anything in your supply chain anything else which is- i need that toolkit yeah i did that all manually oh my gosh. fun <laughs> so it automatically takes in certain types of data feeds like if you have electricity bills yeah. or um you know data centers data centers or you know your cloud yeah yeah so i saw a stat the other day it shocked me that um the carbon footprint of data centers globally is the same as the airline industry really two percent of global carbon and that's huge because i think the airline industry is often cited maybe because it's very visible but um data Mm. centers you don't really think about so much but everyone stores everything on the cloud now so you you forget that you're by keeping every single photo of your children's lives, for example, in my case, right. is contributing. Yeah. And then I think that one of them, I think GCP is fully um, it is. It green, is, isn't it? It's renewable? net zero. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And so that's amazing. And then ambitions to run on exactly renewable energy. And it's the same for AWS as yeah. well. And so I think that big cloud providers recognize that there is this They're bad. Need. <laughs> yeah. need to sort it. Well, yeah, there's a need to be responsible. Yeah. Um, and so obviously Splunk, we partner with all different clouds. And so it's good for us as well to be able to say, here's the you know cost or saving for you moving to this cloud, but also here's the carbon impact. Here's what you will be able to say instead of running on-prem and presumably not offsetting it anywhere. No. You can move everything to a cloud where it is being offset for you. Yeah. Um, and that's quite attractive in terms that of... That is uh, attractive, yeah. yeah. No, that's great. So... Your job is exciting, I think. <laughs> Talking cool. about these big technical problems with yeah. people um, who are dealing, grappling with them in in the corporate world. Yeah. Um, so we've explored resilience, we've explored sustainability. What's the main challenge you'd give to someone who's listening to this? 
Oh, so what? Having listened to that, what are they going to so do? So what? Um, I would ask, you know, what's your kind of personal chaos monkey that you've got going on? In, what? What? How do you test your resilience? You know, what's the worst thing that could happen to you that, and you could still operate? Yeah. And that could be many things. It could be your, your team going off sick. It could be um, your offices moving. Or it mm-hmm. could, you know, what is the worst thing that could happen yet you would still be able to operate? And could you, could you make that any better? Okay. Um, so you've got to think through what is the worst thing that can happen and how would I carry on? Exactly, yeah. And and how easy is that, you know, in terms yeah. of how long could you sustain that for? Okay. Um, so really I would challenge people to think about, yeah, their resilience. Um, we're putting out some materials very shortly that should be available from Splunk as well to kind of go through frameworks and models and just self-assess really on where you are. And if you want to improve that resilience, you know, obviously we're, we're always here. So many other yeah. people to talk to you about it. So we'll have this posted on LinkedIn and things, I think. So I guess people will be free to talk to either you or me. Oh, um, yeah, definitely. On LinkedIn.com slash Kirsty I'm quite proud of that to have got the URL. Double Kirsty. Kirsty Kirsty, yeah. So. The first Kirsty Kirsty on LinkedIn. <laughs> I can't believe normal Kirsty was taken. I'm no. So yeah, so, um, but yeah, do reach out. Um, Kirsty Payne, working at Splunk, so you'll be able to find me. And just let's start a conversation because um, I think it's just such a top of mind topic for a lot of people. Um, and yeah, we're here, we're here to help, really. Absolutely. Thank you so much for spending the time talking to us. Thank um, you for spending the time talking to me. Yeah. <laughs> it's really interesting. It's great to have met you. And yeah, really all the best for the rest of the series. Thank you. Thank you.